Welcome back to Miami Nice. Welcome back, Katie Walsh. How are you? We're back. We're back, baby. We're back. I'm, um, I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's 2020 and everyone's having one. Um, and it's we're been surviving. crazy. We're surviving. We're surviving. Yeah. Well, we're so excited to be back for Miami Nice. And I'm just going to jump in and then Katie is going to tag on this. We are so happy that you guys are listening. We're so happy um, that all the great feedback that we received and response we received to the original series, both in video and audio form, um, particularly a lot more listens than views, but that's great. We're just happy that you engage with the show. Um, we're back now in a slightly different format. When Katie and I decided to do Miami Nice together, it was kind of a way for us to uh, blatantly ignore uh, the pandemic swelling around each of us in both of our countries at that time. It was about us having a few drinks and watching a movie that gave us a deep amount of escapist comfort. Um, where lines like, uh, we go from zero to high order violence like that. And uh, where people say, you get to town in Miami and those things. We just enjoyed spending time, having a few drinks, unpacking the movie together. But, you know, the world has changed. It's a crazy 2020. Um, it, it's, it's an unbelievably turbulent time for both civil rights and, uh, you know, government powers and there's police are a particularly problematic entity in pop culture and what's cool about michael mann movies as you would have heard when katie did our sort of reintroduction to one of our final episodes we recorded before our hiatus um you would have heard us talk about coming to terms with that and what's great about michael mann movies is that he does have a complicated relationship with police and even as far back as Thief, he cast all the police officers as actual former thieves in Chicago and cast all the thieves that currently working in Chicago as police officers. He, he loves those games. And so we wanted to find a way to talk about this movie and say everything we wanted to say on the show, but it's not really as fun to have a few drinks about it and get ser not serious about it. We wanted to talk about the themes of the movie, but not really have that on our heads, I suppose. Is that the best way, Katie, that we can say that? Yeah, I think you're dead dead on and and sort of what we've been grappling with with this film and you know, I I it was hard especially for me in the beginning of June and I explained all of this um on my intro on the last episode, but you know, I was like is this copaganda? And yes. having thought and sat with this for a long time like it's not because it's it's not trying to just say these are all moral people and what they're doing is right it, it's like grappling with the complexities of that and i think that there is still um merit in you know unpacking this movie and talking about how it works inexplicably and talking about its relationship to the series and how, you know, man's film is like so much grittier and more nuanced and complex than necessarily what the series showed us. So, um, and there's just so many people that love this movie and want to talk about it. So Un an unbelievable thing happened and we say it in the upcoming show, but there was a tsunami of people that reached out to us when we kicked yeah. off the show. Firstly, just liking our great artwork by Garth Franklin and Katie and I doing the great poses. But yeah. secondly, they're like a couple of people actually said, we don't need to do the podcast. You made this art. That's enough. <laughs> um, so thank you in advance for that. But also there's some amazing people who 
have this same connection with this movie. This movie is having a moment all over again. Like it seems to have a moment, seems to have a moment at the 10 year anniversary, but it just continues to have this moment. People keep engaging with it. People keep talking about it. And I think when you're trapped inside your house and there's no new content coming out, of course you revisit the movies that make you feel good. And that, you know, I mean, just read Bill Gabeira's Twitty, uh, Bill Gabeira's Twitter rather. You're just gonna see him like say, "I just watched Miami Vice again." Like I don't even know if I'm watching any new movies. I just may be watching Miami Vice again, and so I feel like it's those things um, that keep coming up. So we we've reached out to all those people who reached out to us. We have an amazing lineup of guests. I'm so excited about who we're gonna talk to and. It just felt like if we didn't talk to these people, like we wouldn't have fulfilled our mission. <laughs> we the wouldn't. mission is, we, 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 we've escaped. We were, the only co- we were the only government agency that was escaped it. And now we're deputized under federal to fulfill yeah. our mission, part of we it. Had, we, had to, we had to get all of these people on to talk about Miami Vice. Otherwise it just would have felt unfinished. It would have felt, you know, like we hadn't fully done what we set out to do. So I'm super excited. We're going to have guests now and we've an awesome guest today. Oh my God. Absolutely. The very first DM I received was from this guest. I, I, I can't. An amazing I, filmmaker and a friend. And yeah. I can't tell you guys how excited we've just recorded the interview with this guest and it's such a joy. Like the joy on my face and on Katie's face and on our guest's face talking about this. It's a heartwarming thing of someone, you know, of a now a really emerging talented filmmaker talking about their relationship with this movie. And we couldn't be happier that this is our first interview. So um, it's, it's perfect. I mean, and perfect. as you will hear in the interview, Miami Vice was film school for our guest, who's now this like amazing award winning filmmaker. And that guest is Bill Ross of the wow. Ross Brothers, uh, amazing documentarians and filmmakers. And um, we've had awesome conversation for you guys. So it's going to be great. Let's go it from zero. <laughs> it is great. Zero to high order interview. Just like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Far too kind. Welcome to Miami Nice. Uh, we are back and we have our very first guest, which is super exciting. Um, and we're going to have a series of guests on Miami Nice, but Bill Ross had to be our very first guest um, because he was probably the first person to ask me to be a guest. <laughs> hey, when I saw when I saw you tweet about it, I, I just, uh, I, I love this film and I, I have a weird knowledge about it. So I... I threw my hat in the ring. Yes, and we are so glad that you did, and we are so excited to get into um, all of your experiences with this movie um, because you did edit the trailer. I was an assistant editor, but uh, I was right there for all the all, all the business going on. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna get into it, and if you guys do not know who Bill Ross is, well. I just don't know what to tell you, but Bill and his brother Turner, the Ross brothers, are amazing documentarians. I absolutely love their films. Four, five, three, six, five, amazing movie. Chapatulis was the first movie of yours that I saw. Western, obsessed. That's newly on Criterion Channel. Yeah, it came out uh, in the last week. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You guys have to check that movie out. Western went to Criterion. That's great. I'm on. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm on that too. Yep. Okay. Great. Awesome. Um, contemporary color, an amazing David Byrne uh, concert film. And then this year they had Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which premiered at Sundance 
And if you miss bars, which I know we're all missing dive bars right now, you got to watch Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, which is a love letter to bar culture and bar life. And um, Blake and I love this quote from our friend of pod, Matt Zoller Sites, which yes. describes the film as bursting with humanity, grounded in humility, and in love with the poetry of faces, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is a classic indie film that will irritate or mystify some viewers while inspiring evangelical fervor in others. So <laughs> you can rent it on iTunes right now. So go ahead and watch all of those films um, by the Ross Brothers. But today we're talking about Michael Mann's 2006 epic, Miami Vice. Yes. Um, so Bill, I just read the um, profile of you and your brother uh, that was in LA Times written by my friend, Amy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. um, and in that profile, she says that you guys ultimately left LA um, after you were cutting trailers and doing things uh, like the Miami Vice trailer. And then you realize that you weren't getting anything sort of like creatively fulfilling out of that. So did Miami Vice really drive you out of LA and into New Orleans to, to make documentaries? No, not at all. I mean, it, that, was, that was the first real job, I mean, like industry job I ever had. So, I, you know, I was fresh out of college. Um, Turner and I were working, um, you know, like factory jobs, you know, uh, just w whatever we could do to pay the rent. And I started as a runner at this trailer house. Uh, running, you know, back in the day uh, before like uploading things quickly, uh, we were running like tapes all around LA, worked my way up to be an assistant editor. And right around that time, uh, we find out that we're going to get the Miami Vice trailer. Now, Woo! huge, huge Michael Mann fan. And Blake, I have to give you some credit. Uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets was a very hard edit. And uh, 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 one heat minute, uh, I listened to oh my God. all the way through. It got me through the entire edit of that film. Ew, that's so <laughs> lovely. Oh, that that I'm I'm completely chuffed with that. But you you know you made a you made you made a, an amazing film. So uh, that's why we love Matt's quote. But oh, thank you for saying that. That's great. Um, so you're running you're running around. You're running physical tapes. Physical tapes, uh, like all all over LA, to all the studios of each version of every trailer, TV spot. Uh, we find out just as, you know, I get promoted to be an assistant that, uh, you know, Miami Vice is coming in. Uh, all us assistants are very excited. And the head assistant, who's been, you know, an assistant for a couple years, uh, is, is very peculiar, is summoned to Michael Mann's office where he will read the script because Michael Mann will not give the script. He will not hand it over. So this fella needs to memorize the script. He can take no notes. Whoa. Oh he has to memorize the script because uh, Michael Mann will be sending dailies every day over. And so from this dude's mind, he has to piece together what all these dailies, where they need to go and what the storyline is. <laughs> no, so, pressure, no pressure, no pressure at all. So this poor guy has, uh, comes back and he's very, uh, it took hours for him to read this thing because he said it was so precise that, and, and it was so long because any weapon that was used uh, went into such great, detail in the script as you know make model serial number of like what gun was being used whatever what kind of boat you know um so he it's a quickly, go fast boat go fast boat yeah yeah, yeah. that was shorter that was yeah, shorter right. than the gun that descriptions was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so go like jake, so like jake gyllenhaal and zodiac uh he has to run back to you know, where we're working and scribble down the the script 
uh, from what he remembers. Uh, so then, the uh, oh, this God. was very exciting, Katie. This is why I, I uh, no, I'm loving this. I'm like soaking it all in. I, I, if if I'm telling you, Bill, if if the podcast ended now, my week is made. Like just that that okay. that visual of your poor editor friend, like literally frazzled Robert Graysmith running yeah. back to the script, like. I have yeah. to, I've just read a Michael Mann script. Now go write it because that's right. the only memory that I can have. That is a, the best image. Right. Oh, that's a, that's an he, runs, he runs in and we're all asking him questions like, you know, all this stuff. And he's, and he, so he has to lock himself into a room so he can do this. So as the dailies come in, um, you know, we're getting the dailies at the same time that the actual editor is getting it. So uh, our task is to cut the movie. So we cut, uh, you know, our version of the movie based off of uh, this other assistant editor's notes. So I actually got to cut uh, a lot a of version. my life just, you know, just from the raw footage. So that was at that time being, you know, very early twenties uh, was like the highlight of my life at that point. Oh my God. gone <laughs> at a trailer house, but. I don't really know much about how trailers are cut. I mean, is that typical to like basically. Okay. I'm like, do you, do most trailer houses watch the dailies? Like that seems. Uh, yeah. Dailies. Yes. Um, but you would def you would usually have a script. Um, you, you know, uh, <laughs> there would be. You would usually have a script is my, yeah. that, that's, you'd not have to memorize it in a two hour sitting. Um, and you would get that script before you got footage. And, you know, based off that script, there would be copywriters that would, you know, write, a trailer before you, you know, it, it comes in all different ways, but for something like this high level, it, it can get, it can get pretty funky. So, and Bill, correct me if I'm wrong. Cause you'd know more about this from being in there. Some directors are really fastidious and you know, obviously Michael Mann is one of these guys, but some directors like, I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't let anyone else cut his trailers. Like he, he comes to the cut yes. of the trailer knowing what he wants to show. So there are certain wow. filmmakers who actually bypass the standard process from marketing and say, no, Yes. I want you to show this and that's what we're going to show. Right. So that, as far as I know, that wasn't yeah. the case here, but um, he was heavily, heavily involved. Um, yeah. You know, I, it, there were funny moments during this whole thing, like Linkin Park came in to okay that their song got used. So that was, that was a funny day. Um, <laughs> you know, so we're obsessed was, with that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm personally obsessed with that opening shot and the theatrical cut. Oh, where yeah. it just drops into the numb on core remix. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, it's like, like it's it's such a it's it's so funny how like an opening mood setting moment like that can like completely get you ready. Like you can it, it's funny because Katie and I have shared that experience talking together. It's like when that happened to both of us, we're like, oh I'm in. And some people yeah. are like, what the hell's going on? And I yeah. think if you have you have either one of those reactions, it's kind of like you're prepared for what this movie's going to be. And if you're in like you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't care, I'm in. Um, yeah. That's that's so great. All right, oh my god, we have to slow down, Bill, because there's just too much. There's just too much. I was so, actually, so oh, go ahead, yeah, yeah. So you guys are are getting the dailies. You're cutting this thing together. It's flowing as it should be flowing, I guess, because with the dailies, it's like the schedule is going along, and you guys are, are assembly cutting this thing together. At what point um, in that, like, 
when you guys cut your version, is it a version that the editors sit down with? Is it, is it like drastically different from the version that we've seen? Like, is there heaps of different elements that maybe weren't included? Because I guess where we're rolling up to, and we will eventually get to this point, but we know that there is a point in the film and a point in your friend's crazy whiteboard, you know, the garage in the first season of true detective moment of assembling this script that, that we know that there is a completely different ending that existed in scripted form. So I guess like how far along that process were you guys in cutting um, when you guys had a sort of uh, a chunky enough trailer, I guess, to start off with. Right. So they, um, we were actually cutting the film quicker. If I remember correctly, we were cutting it quicker than um, the actual studio was. So we were sharing that cut and that cut was going back and forth. Um, And I was like, I was tasked with cutting what ultimately got cut, but that opening boat race, which I believe is in the director's cut. Yes, oh, yeah. Um, so it's cut so that. gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. And there was just seemingly thousands of hours of coverage on that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, my God. So I was just like, I was just like, you know, I think all, he, all the uh, other assistant wrote down was like, there's a boat race and then they, you know, get off the boat. So I'm just like trying to cut together. <laughs> there's a boat race. <laughs> I love- yeah. It's 12 pages of a script and he's like, yeah. there's a boat race. Yeah. Um, and then I, and then that goes into the club scene, um, yeah. which ultimately yeah. is much better, much more captivating open. Um, and I, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm going on a tangent here. Uh, I will get back to the question, but I do remember in that opening club scene, when you first meet Colin Farrell, he walks to the bar and he orders mojitos, right? Two of them. <laughs> two of them, two of them. So he goes up. And, and, and a gin and tonic. And a gin and tonic, yes. But the, the, the line he goes up, he says, uh, you know, he's like, hey, darling. And then uh, he's like, you know, two mojitos, whatever. And she, and she says lemon or lime. And he, in, in the dailies, he quickly rebuttals and says, uh, lime, you don't make mojitos with lemons, darling. And so it's like, <laughs> like really uh, <laughs> bewilderingly dickish. <laughs> You're just like, oh, um, that's, that's a weird first foot to get off of with, with right. old Colin here. So luckily they cut the other part of that. I'm sure they tested yes. it. We're just like, um, I'm imme- no. he's immediately unlikable. Um, but yeah, I remember, yeah, that, that, that being- It would really, it would really be like negging, like he, because yeah. he and then ultimately flirts with her which is great. Like, it's like straight away, you know, this guy is just a relentless flirt and he's a ladies man. And he's like, he enjoys this part of his, his profession, but it's like, yeah, that is the most dickish line of all time. Yeah. I think maybe when bars open, all three of us should test it. If anyone ever asks him, it's (laughs) lemon or lime. (laughs) You don't don't make a mojito with lime. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to flirt with you. If you were a cop, the bartender. No. No. Yeah, he ultimately goes with what line? The you got your tan in Miami. Yeah, yeah. So those lines were always in there. It was oh. just the you know the mansplaining how to make a mojito part that was. <laughs> oh man, I got. I wish I could get my eyes on those daily. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. And the, yeah, the the coverage in the club is just um, so much, and um, and they actually again it's you know, it's. How, it's how how it, Bill, you've cut so many things and especially blood, bloody nose, empty pockets. It's so like, it's so goddamn hard to make in a false sense. This is why documentary cinema does it much better and actually like kind of 
re-corrects your eyes. But movie club scenes so often are terrible. Like just almost universally terrible about mood and space and like just the energy of a, of like a great club. If you ever said to a friend like, Oh, we went to a great club, but Miami vice gets it. Like, I don't know what it is like the coverage that they got and the space that is created and the editing pace. It just feels like, Oh, that feels like a club. Like it actually feels like a club that people are dancing in and that people are bumping against each other and, you know, trying to get into like, it's, it, I don't know about the energy of that whole scene. It's just so awesome. Like all the work that you got obviously got to see them do and then did yourself in cutting some of the trailer. Um, but yeah, that's, it, I don't know what it is. It just feels different well, to me in than those, so many other movies in those scenes they they are setting up a scenario um where they you know it's not silent they're not like silently dancing like you know every other film would probably do and there's you know probably well i don't know how many cameras but i mean it, it's getting covered uh in, in a major way but they were like blasting music so it really had like a real in the dailies like, oh. kind of club vibe and it's when you get into the close-ups for like dialogue or whatever that you know it's you know, people are silently dancing in the background, but they it seemingly tried to, you know, make it make it feel genuine. And that that uh, Lincoln Park song is actually played in, if I'm remembering this correctly, this was you know 15 years ago, or whatever. But um, that Lincoln Park song is being played while they're shooting, and I ah. think, so either Michael Mann has an affinity toward that song, or it just. I, I don't know where I don't know where it's being pulled from, but yeah. We talk a lot about the music yeah, in this we podcast because yeah. I'm obsessed with it in the sense yeah. that it's um, both great and terrible. Well, just like everything in this film, it's terrible. <laughs> like it shouldn't work. None of this should work. None of, no. Like unlike Heat, where I just feel like Heat's perfect. Like so many things in this movie should not work. They don't yes. work, but somehow, like for instance, like. When Colin Farrell, you know, uh, is being at, he says, uh, well, my mommy and daddy know me, you know, or like, or like Jamie Foxx says, let's take it to the limit one more time. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, who wrote this? But yet, <laughs> yet I find this to be the most rewatchable Michael Mann film. I, I don't know. That's the thing is like, everyone is sort of like, why does this work? We don't yeah. know what's going on, but we just want to rewatch it over and over again. And it's got the vibe and the energy and like, you don't even have to totally follow what's going on. Right. You just have to like be there and like be yeah. present. And that's it's kind of what works. See, Bill and Katie, you guys would know this with Heat. It's like some people who are passive fans of Heat and not quite obsessives like myself or folk who have listened to the show, is you, you're like, no, it's really quotable. And people kind of like, there's something about the way the script is written that it's kind of hidden quotable. Like it's quotable all the time, but it's, it doesn't jump out at you. Like let's hit, let's push it to the limit one more time. Like, you know, no, it's not a boat. It's an apartment building. Like, you know, these things, these lines, like in my head when like, like, like my friend's got a boat and I'm like, well, if that boat's not moving, it looks like an apartment building. Like I can't help myself. It's so dumb, but it's like, I agree with you. There's something about, it's like, there's this one extra layer or extra layer of emphasis or extra layer of delivery that like every line in this movie just doesn't like, it just takes it, to, it, it does take it to the limit one more time. Like I said, yeah. like, I, it, like, but all Michael Mann movies are quotable. That's the thing is like the real Michael Mann heads get it, but this movie just does something else. It's doing something else yeah. with every line. Everything. It's <laughs> Every Hannah Miami. Disco guy. I mean, I'm I a disco like- guy. 
Um, so Bill, when you were like putting this assembly cut together, were you guys like, this is genius? Or were you kind of like, we don't know. Yes, great question. Great um, question. No, I mean, we were laughing at all these lines. Um, <laughs> I mean, it looked cool. Uh, you know, the color palette of the film is amazing. Amazing. Uh, I, I think that we were like, I'm not sure Colin Farrell's going to work. <laughs> you know? Oh, great. Yes, yeah. because I was going to get to this. I, I was going to get to this with you, Bill. We were like, what? First of all, what does he look like? Um, <laughs> and his his line deliveries are insane. Um, <laughs> so we were, you know, I remember laughing a lot at particularly him. Oh my God. Um, but again, in the final version, yeah. I, I love him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he does really, I mean, not to say it again, but he takes it to the limit. <laughs> oh my God. You know, you are like, what's with this hair? What's with this mustache? And then it just somehow weirdly gels. Yep. Um, and- But it's, I think it's his, and I, and, and I want to pronounce it right for both of our dialects. Like obviously it's like his pallor. Like there's something about his skin Yep. And the, again, talking about bloody nose, people who drink have that like, that blo like booze bloat, like you've got a bit of booze bloat. Like if you've been on a, you know, I think uh, you guys call it like, we call it here bucks. Like, is it a bucks party or is it like a ba bachelor party in the States? Yeah. Right. So we could say, so like, if you go out, there's been times where I've like, my friends have had bachelor party weekends and you go out and you drink for days and whatever. And you come back and you feel like Colin Farrell looks in this movie. Like he's like bloated. <laughs> and sweaty and like you just feel like a bag of shit but like you're dressing in nice clothes because you're going out because you're going out with your friends but you feel like you feel sweaty it feels hot like you're just that little bit more swollen in the face because you've just had way too much booze and, and 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 so when i watch him in this movie i'm just like there's something about it man there's just something about it like this guy's got it he's like he's like that raconteur at the at a bar like he's just I want to listen to him. I want to, I want to watch everything he's doing because he admits himself now, like retroactively, he's like, look, I, I watch this movie. Not like I'm ever, he doesn't really watch himself that much. He's like, I don't really watch myself, but particularly for this film, I don't actually watch that as me. I watch it as a completely other guy who's making all these choices and like, Oh, he made some good choices, but he's drunk off his ass every day. He has no memory of it. Like, which is kind of sad, but it's also kind of like, it's oh, like, that's never going to happen again. He can't, if they made a sequel, he can't get back to that guy. Like it's a different guy. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I didn't realize that, that he was, uh, that he was that, uh, party boy at the time. <laughs> yeah. I think he went to rehab like right after. Uh, okay. All right. We've also received some reports that, yeah. um, he was partying with, um, Diego Maradona. Diego Maradona. <laughs> Whoa! Like, I can't wait, Katie. Well, I can't yeah, remember. Of course, of course. Okay. What? So, 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 Bill. What I wanted to say at the start that we didn't quite get to, which I'm so happy. That, firstly, I, I, again, I just want to say I'm really happy that you're on the show. I, I'm so happy that you're here. But there was a tsunami of DMs that came in when Katie and I announced this show. There was a tsunami, and Katie and I had this wonderful. I, I almost feel like it should have been published conversation about all these great people. You being the very first cab off that rank, we're like, <laughs> these are people who want to talk to us about the show. And then we got a random guy who just happened to be a fan of Heat and Michael Mann and this movie, who got in touch with Katie and I and was like, I 
know that while they were shooting in South America, Colin Farrell was partying with Diego Maradona. And we went, wait, how do you know that? And he's like, I'll show you. And like, what was it a day later, Katie? We had the photos, pap photos from outside yeah. a club in South America where Colin Farrell's there with Diego Maradona. And like, again, it's, it's not Colin Farrell. It's Sonny Crockett. Yeah. With, That's cocaine bloat right there. Coca- like like, like <laughs> straight, straight, straight in there. And it's like, Oh my God. And so he sent oh, the photos yeah. and yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we take all tips. We take party That's reports. Um, but yeah, there's something about it. Like I, I think also we've talked about this film sort of in relationship to the series and how the series mm. was so shiny and beautiful. And Don Johnson was such a pretty boy. Oh, I got a Don Johnson tale for you. Oh, oh. I, um, yeah. First day in LA, me and Turner moved out there. We went to the Troubadour because our dad who had been in the Marine Corps, uh, and he was stationed in San Diego. He said his favorite place to go was the Troubadour. Would you drive up five and go to the Troubadour? So we went to the Troubadour, and shit you not, we're walking up. Don Johnson walks out, hops into a convertible, and tears off. First time oh. he's riding in LA, right there. You're like, <laughs> we're here, baby. <laughs> like, this is how LA works? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I guess coast, I coast to coast. Sunny, Sunny is on the, in the Miami as he is in LA. Yes. What a what a baller, Sorry, Don I Johnson. Talk. No, I just was going to say that, like, I think that the film is like, I think, man, you know, he didn't really do the series. And I think that he, the movie was something that he was like, I have to do this and I'm going to do it authentically. And I'm going to talk about all these gangs and the real way that drug cartels work. And it's going to be like gritty and realistic and not, you know, shiny and pastel the way the series was. But I almost feel like Colin Farrell, like, method acted his way into like who the real Sonny Crockett would be just like too tan weird blonde hair bloated like on the edge like very like he you know they caught him at just the right ripeness yeah for this yeah. character to work the way that it does um and I because I think I think the lie of movies, Katie, and this is what I think you're getting at. The lie of movies is undercover people are always sexy. And now they are good looking, like a lot of undercover people. But there's something that there has to be something sketchy about you. Like one of the great things that I know you've written about it recently is that and 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 we've talked about him on this show many times. It's like the the whole uh Tom Sizemore part in point break. Like when he's in point break and he's like bleached hair and disgusting, you're like, that guy's an undercover. Like he looks disgusting right. and, and how method Tom Sizemore may or may have not been during that performance is a completely new podcast that we're not doing just right now. But I think that that's what he nails. Like he gets that, like he's sketchy. He looks dirty. Like you're like, this guy's up to something, man. He's like, he's not, you know, he makes, he makes everyone feel great. Okay. We have to get back to the chronology here really yeah. quickly and just go, you're cutting this together. It's all going along crazy time in America. We talked about a couple of times on the podcast, hurricanes happening. You guys are getting footage. It's all coming in. When is the moment or is there a moment billing that you guys remember like everything's stopping Where, like uh, dur- during production that says, okay, or, or, or completely changing or your friend having to go back and read a revision of the script. Is there, did you, do you guys remember that in the editing suite? Well, I had, a, yeah. I mean, that time was weird for me too. Cause Turner, I'm here in New Orleans. Turner was working on a film here and I get a phone call and he says uh, he's working on a Denzel Washington, Tony Scott picture. Uh, out of time. 
uh, uh, um, uh, Man on Fire? No, I wish it was Man on Fire. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I have to look it up. Hold on. Um, why am I forgetting this? He lives down the street. Maybe I'll just yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deja vu. Deja vu. Oh, deja vu. Um, okay, so he calls me up and he's like, hey, storm's coming. Storm, not uncommon. Uh, and he's, he's like, they're going to uh, get a private jet and, you know, uh, fly everybody back to LA for the weekend. So I'm like, sweet, we'll party all weekend. And, you know, um, ends up being Katrina and everything's fucked. So he, so that was a weird time for me because uh, he immediately tur turned back, back with another buddy of ours from New Orleans and they drove back here for Katrina. And I, I honestly, my mind was on that. I don't really recall when I went back uh, into work, like what exactly. I, well, I don't blame you. Went the, whole the whole world was in turmoil at yeah. that moment. I don't, I don't remember because I know, I know that that really threw production off. And I know that, you know, Jamie Foxx refused to do a lot of shit at the end. Yeah. Like, what do y'all yes. know about that? Because I, I know that that they had to rewrite a lot of stuff. Well, some, a security guard that. got shot. Right. I knew that. Am I getting this right? Blake, the chronology, like a, a guy gets shot in where, like, Paraguay or Dominican yeah, Republic or something. They're in, they're, they're in, like I'm not going. So they had the, uh, basically what was happening is they actually had family and friends around when they were shooting, and they had hired, from what I understand, private security personnel. Um, and there was a fracas between private security personnel and people trying to get a look on the set because obviously. They're shooting in a place that doesn't usually have movies and it's obviously got all the lights and the trailers and all of the paraphernalia. Someone comes to get on set, someone gets shot. In that moment, um, I think it's funny. I've, I've now since listened to another podcast and read a story that Colin Farrell's dad was on set that day and he and Gong Lee and Colin Farrell all just hung out together, just sort of heard a gunshot, thought it was a bit weird, went and sort of stayed in their trailers, didn't really do anything, waited. And apparently in that moment when there was that shooting, Jamie Foxx picked up, got his whole entourage and just left and refused to come back to that country again. Yeah. And um, in that moment, that then caused the rewrite because part of, I think part of what was going to happen, and this is what we hear was going to happen, is um, the big Archangel Jesus de Montoya's compound that was set over the Guazu Falls or near Guazu in the, um, uh, is it... Cinco del Este, or like that. Apparently, that's where that was going to go down. From what I, and again, this is all sort of hearsay and and sort of rumor and things like that because there's no one really who's gone on the record from the production that said, yeah, it was exactly this, and then we changed it. Um, but then they made it in. He said, "I'm not shooting unless it's in America," and then that's why they brought it back to Miami. I see. But is it the same scenario where uh, Naomi Harris gets kidnapped? All, all of that happens, all the same kidnapping scenario. But I think that what it was at the end was like a big action orientated, uh, like uh, sequence that happens down in South America, as opposed to the, like the confrontation that happens with Euro and his men is right. not there. They'll sort of rush away to the other country and then they go down there and then there's a big shootout that ends the film, I think. But, but, but that, I think it was, they only talk about the climax, which is why, you know, it's relatively small scale climax, really. Like in the yeah. grand scheme of the movie, it's just at a shipyard. Like they yeah. just sort of change, they swapped out the setting. So, um, yeah. So, I, I, and even what's weird also is you remember that final scene before the shipyard, they're actually in an airplane hangar. 
getting ready for a final shootout. Yeah. But then they go to a shipyard. I've always <laughs> thought that was weird. Like I was like, why are they getting like, I know that that's like a stupid detail to get hooked on, but I've always gone like, why are they in an airplane hangar? And then they go into it. Oh, may, and then in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe they were in the hangar because that's where, you know, they, they are undercover operations are in the hangar. So, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but it kind of does look like, oh, they're all getting ready in the hangar to get in a plane to go down to South America to like infiltrate this space. That would um, make more sense, yes. <laughs> yeah. Then <laughs> turning around to go to a shipyard. Yeah, yeah. I've never thought about that where you're like, yeah, why do they go from the airplane hangar to the shipyard? But somehow I just went along with it. <laughs> somehow, yeah. somehow. I mean, there were there are other steps along the way in the film that you just go with. So uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. by that point, you're ready. Yeah, let's keep going. So um, my favorite parts of the movie are when he, when Colin, Sonny, and Gong Lee go to Cuba and it's just like vibes and- Where they don't like his passport. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. But like the dancing, I mean, we've talked about the dance scene a bunch. The Habamasa is my cousin. It's amazing. It's amazing. She's, she's literally doing it phonetically, which is unbelievable. Like I don't understand how, I even get annoyed with Australians who do bad American accents in movies. Like I get, I hate it. Um, and I can't believe that she learned how to speak English phonetically to like do any. And then they're like, not only are you going to speak English, but I need you to do a Cuban accented Chinese yeah. English person. Right. Oh, okay, cool. It doesn't surprise me that the club scene was shot with music and authentically and stuff. Cause another thing that we talk about a lot is just like how, like if you listen to the commentary, man is just like, this poster is from this place and this mural I had recreate. Like he is so detail oriented. I mean, I'm just wondering, I, I know Colin and Gong Lee trained for three months <laughs> to learn salsa dancing. Like right, right. <laughs> I have to wonder what those club scenes looked like too, like from just the dailies. Uh, I don't recall. I did. I, I wasn't assigned those scenes. I, I can imagine. I mean, they look much more choreographed than that opening club scene. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I didn't cut on those, so I'm not not exactly oh. sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you know it's probably shot similarly where the music's on and they're just letting them go and they're mostly shooting it like a doc. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what it that feels like. Guess. Yeah. Almost like concert film because they have like yeah. a live band there and everything. Yeah. They got too good almost. Yeah. They got, they got so good, like, like well, three months so of death. They got found out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Bill, give us some more highlights. Give us like, the, like, you know, cause we had that massive interruption. Everything changes, you know, the Jamie Foxx leaves when everything picks back up again, what are your memories of like finally delivering a trailer, people receiving it, like, you know, running it around. Like, do you have any memories of like what that, those moments were like at the end. Cause I'm really keen to like, because I, I guess I try and cast my mind back. Cause I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like a fan of the Miami Vice series. Like in Australia, it was on, yeah, it was either. on it, and I wasn't a fan. I wasn't huge, but, but I was a Michael Mann fan. So knowing you had a new movie and then Miami Vice and you're like, Oh cool. So what was the ending, especially of that production of the trailer and things like that? Like, was there like, cause well, there was I think, great anticipation as we were getting closer and closer and closer and, you know, phone call, phone call back and forth to Michael Mann studio or whatever. We kept thinking he was going to come in. Uh, like cool. we thought there was going to be an appearance where he just sat in the editing bay and like locked it down 24th hour, you know, kind of thing. Cause Lincoln Park had already come in. We're like, well, this is, this is, you know, 
Where, what's uh, what is above to... Lincoln Park? <laughs> Michael Mann. Uh, what's that? Oh, I guess this line doesn't make sense. I I love the line where the guy goes, they go from zero to high order violence just like that. And he snaps. <laughs> um, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me, baby? Uh, I love that guy. Like it's such oh, a Eddie, Eddie Marzen. Eddie Marzen, baby. Oh my god. Um. Anyway. Um. I, yeah, I just thought it was going to go to the next level, and I, 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 we like we were just sitting in our little editor nerd section, being like, "Oh man, is today the day?" You know, because we knew it was going to finish any day. We thought Michael Mann might come in, give a stamp of approval. Never happened, unfortunately. But yeah, when the trailer came out, uh, you know, that was the first like, uh, you know, cool thing I had ever worked on. <laughs> so yeah. when it, you know, when it when it when it popped up on Apple trailers or whatever, uh, we just watched it on. You know, we send it to all our friends, and oh, yeah, it was cool awesome. as hell. And then uh, we, so good. it was uh, we worked right next to ArcLight Hollywood, and just uh, when it came out, we after work uh, the first uh, night of premiere, we we all went over there and watched it and saw the final cut of the film, and yeah, it was it was cool as hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. Um, so fun. <laughs> oh, amazing, amazing, and and when you guys saw it you had had a weird intimate relationship with this thing, like seeing yeah. it go through, seeing dailies, being part of it, seeing Lincoln park. Um, like, you know, like all those things happening when you watch it, did you dig it and did the audience around you dig it? Or were they kind of like, cause I, I had, you know, Katie and I've talked a couple of times about our first experiences. Like I walked out and I was like, Oh, that was great. And the whole audience, all I heard was like, can you believe that guy's mustache? Like, I mean, what is going on? Like they just, they could not get over the look. It was like almost a, like a barrier of entry was a problem. And like a lot of people I walked out with like had a bad experience coming out. So I wonder like what that was like for you. I mean, we were all kind of giddy and I, like to me, it was like the, my first lesson in editing really, you know, it's like to see yes. what a master editor, their choices were after, you know, making whatever ridiculous uh, young person choices I made. But, um, but it was, yeah, how to, it taught me like how a movie comes together and like, you know, what you got to do uh, in order to advance plot and, you know, what doesn't work. Like the boat race, I, you know, in my gut, I was like, this goes on too long. It doesn't really, you know, it, it doesn't really advance anything. It puts you in that world, but you immediately go to the club. So that already drops you in the world. So I, I, I guess in my gut, I knew that was right. And to see that choice made was cool. Um, yeah. My favorite thing was that, that great sex scene uh, with, with Jamie Foxx and Naomi Harris where he like quits on her yes, and she's kind of disappointed and, she, and he's like, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. So that was a total ad lib. And like, uh, like uh, in the dailies, I think you remember you like hearing, hearing people laugh. And yeah. I was like, that's such a good moment, you know, like, and they put it in and it's perfect. Oh, it's that's so, so great. Oh, yeah. That is. Yeah. Cause they've, how tiresome and awkward must be doing that sex scene, like the sex scene over and over again. So like to bring, that's actually what we talked about in this, you know, one of our episodes about like adult relationships in this movie are good. Like the sex is like good. It doesn't feel bad. It's like, it's, it's sensual. It's exciting. Like that everyone's enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a fun scene because it's like a real relate. It feels like a real relationship. It feels like a stupid game you would right. play with your partner as opposed to, you know, like just like one, one night stand from a girl who just took you to Cuba for the afternoon. Um, but, but it's, it's a little, it's a little bit more exciting when you're going to, to Cuba with the girl, you know? 
Yeah, we we talked in the previous episode about how the uh, like it feels like an adult relationship where they're equals, where you know yes. there's there's a real intimacy there because he is playing around and joking and stuff. Um, and so I love that that was an ad lib. That's amazing. Yeah, and and it just you know it's obviously the scene that sets up the relationship that pays off later, but. Um, any other film it would just sort of be standard stuff but just to have that little moment of uh humor in there it just it said so much about their relationship and, totally and, that they're yeah. equals and that they're like very loving and and intimate together and it's not yeah. just like oh i'm banging my coworker. exactly yeah and also that he actually cares about her having pleasure like right. that's <laughs> i know it's a really dumb thing to say but it's like he right. actually cares that at the end of <laughs> she's had a good time you know so um but that's i that's what i uh also in all of the craziness i love that you got to tell that story because in all the craziness of you know an an obsession of michael mann there are genuine moments of when once he's got what he needs that his performers if he trusts them can flex a like flex a muscle and just go i'm going to improv something and if it works he'll take it if it's right. better. And I think that that's really cool. You talked about being a young man and making like young man choices or like gut feel of like, oh, this doesn't really work. And then oh, yeah. like now you as a filmmaker can go, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And yeah. we can advance it in another way, you know, like we can do something different in this scene. And um, yeah, I, I love that. But it's, it should like Jamie Foxx should make more jokes. He should Absolutely. be more funny. That gives him his personality. <laughs> He's being tasked with delivering impossible lines. Like, <laughs> He should, he should have a little fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know. And one so heartbreaking as well. It's like, you are, you don't need to go home. <laughs> yes. Like, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like you like, read that. Yeah, he's like, Lonzo, you don't need to go home. But, but oh. then they immediately cut to Colin Farrell, which makes me think, oh man, did he just crack up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. <laughs> only someone like you bill who's seen the dailies can go they had to cut because he broke 84 <laughs> times yes. at the end of that line delivery like there are 84 takes i had to go through to get to, to that final one yeah um, I, I don't remember him cracking up but i i would if i had to say that <laughs> does oh, he were line. there in the dailies were there like different you know obviously different line readings because i know on one heat minute blake uh i can't remember what episode but there was someone talking about how Pacino would just give a different line reading every single time. And that's how you get great ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, I have yeah. a very bizarre answer for this. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, to, just to qualify the story, it's Michael said that Al did about six takes of every scene and he had it always within six. He oh. said every take. And then, so he would do six and then once he had it, Al would look at Michael and go, you've got it. And he's like, I've got it. And he's like, cool, let's do some wild ones. And then he would give as many as he wanted where he was just off the reservation. And that's where he got, that's where he got some of the best lines in the whole movie. Now, I don't, I don't remember anything quite like that. Um, however, there was a line where um, they are going to... They're over at dude's apartment. Uh, the guy that go, says, uh, I'm going from zero to high order violence. Eddie Marzen. Um, Eddie Marzen. I, I can't remember the character's name, but. That's what I'm trying to think, yeah. So there is just a throwaway line. Nicholas, my ace. Nicholas, that's it, yeah, yeah. Nicholas. Um, 
but there and talk about a scene that just has incredible lines in it uh oh. but we love that scene <laughs> it's incredible like colin farrell just stares out to see like it's just it's, it's amazing um but one of the agents who has like one or two lines in the whole movie is sitting toward the back and they say, you know, Naomi Harris is like, we're going to lock you up, whatever. And this, this white dude in the back just goes, yeah. And then we can watch, <laughs> then we can watch the Marlins on this 74 inch plasma. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that Dom? That's is that just, Dominic Lomond? No, it's, it's, it's Justin Thoreau. It's, it's Justin just, Thoreau. it's actually oh, okay. writer yeah, right. and actor, right. Justin Thoreau. Yes. All right. So I was like, that is the dumbest line of all time. Uh, but they, but I just remember like take after take of that thing. And I, I was just so befuddled. <laughs> why they were trying to nail that line. I don't know. That is actually so amazing. <laughs> I thought it was that line. Uh, oh, and, and what's so good is the line that they land on in the final cut of the movie, it is really bored delivery. Like he's not doing it. There's nothing cooking with that line. He's just like, then we can kick back and watch Marlon's and there's so many Like that. Like it's just a. He's dead inside. He must have gotten to thirty takes to be like, I'm dead yeah. inside, Michael. That's what I wanted. That's exactly what I wanted. That scene just has everything. That we love that scene. I'm obsessed with Eddie Marzen's accent. Actually, maybe you can help us with this because I think his accent is like um, the big red chicken. Um, from Looney Tunes. <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn, Foghorn Leghorn. Yes. Wow, okay. But Michael Mann on the commentary is like, Eddie Marzan is doing a New Orleans accent. And I'm like, is he? No, no, no he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what live, he's doing. Li li live from New Orleans, Bill's like, absolutely not. That is not, that I is. See, yeah, I'm not, I've, seen this movie a lot uh and i that had never once occurred to me okay. uh, i i i think it's more in the foghorn leghorn yeah genre. yeah um yeah. but no we love eddie marzen and he's an amazing actor but we also love how out of pocket this performance is and yeah. it's on it's for like five minutes uh, but it's memorable but it's one of my favorites yeah yeah he, uh, he just he's that's you know I think that that's the luxury that I, I, I'm, I wish I wish for you, Bill, in every movie that you and Turner make forever is being able to hire like a guy who can crush for like two scenes and they just knock it out of the parking. Like, like that, that's like a, an award-winning actor right there who just comes in for like two minutes to deliver a clearly not New Orleans accent. Um, <laughs> just like for two minutes. And then you're like, see you, Eddie. And he's like gone. Like, it's like, that's, that's when you know you're making big movies when you can hire someone who's like clearly a lead in other movies to come in for 30 seconds of two scenes and is gone. Like, I'm going to have to go back and good. watch this scene again with this in mind. Oh, and, <laughs> and, and is it, yeah. is it, is it, and, and I don't want to get her name wrong because sometimes I've forgotten. Is, is it Gina oh. Rodriguez? Gina yeah. Rodriguez? <laughs> Wait, her and, line, her line. Go ahead. Her line. Her line. If you can't do crime, if you can't do your time, don't do the crime. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Wow. Well, yeah. Um, and first, first, first Naomi Harris's line that is like, because you lead a life of crime. Yeah. And then Elizabeth, no, it's Elizabeth Rodriguez. Sorry. She's yeah, like, Elizabeth Rodriguez. She's like, and yeah, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. So good. <laughs> that whole scene, that whole scene is amazing. 
Uh, yeah, so many highlights from that scene for me. Um, it uh, might be one of my favorites. And also, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing about this movie is like it's all these moments, these really memorable moments and scenes that you just sort of like really hone in on the details of it and then they all kind of come together. But for me, it's like the movie is just this like series of moments in time. Yeah. That you just sort of like live through and you're fully present in. Um, it's that scene has a crazy choreography, right? Like the, the whole movie has a crazy choreography, but like everyone's doing. Yeah, I actually had to cut that, weird... that scene as well. And it was, it was very tough to cut. Now I didn't really know what I was doing at that point, but uh, yeah, it was pretty tough because of all the people in the scene, they're moving around. And everyone's like stationed in like a weird, like like yeah. Dominic is like behind the bar complaining about the glasses being dirty. Yeah. Like Colin Farrell's at the window. Like everybody's kind of like in weird positions around the room. And it does, and it's not like a traditional, like um, uh, like a sort of sweeping camera arc where it goes round the room where everyone kind of gets their moment and then it comes back around. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And the dialogue's all coming at the same time. And, and you know, Jamie Foxx is- moves around and claps by his ear. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you feel like there are like lessons about filmmaking and editing that you like took from just like interacting with these dailies and like... Uh... Yeah. I, yeah, I think it was the first time that I realized that uh, you could find some sort of balance in between, you know, standard Hollywood filmmaking and, and like, you know, yes, there's a script or whatever, but they are oftentimes shooting it like a dot. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, seeing the daily showed me that, you know. Um, That's cool. So that was, that was a pretty cool lesson. And not long after that, at this trailer house I was working at, um, you know, they were laying off, you know, these TV spots or whatever uh, to go to, you know, all the different versions to go to all the different studios. They lay them off to sometimes mini DV tapes. And um, every, every day I'd steal like one or two. And uh, about a year after the Miami Vice trailer, I went and shot our first movie uh, on all these mini DVJs. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, working at this trailer house was kind of my film school, so. Yeah, uh, definitely. Thank you for uh. allowing me to revisit this time in my life. So was that uh. um, four, five, three, six, five that you yeah. shot? Amazing. Yeah. I love that movie. Uh. Um, and look, like you, you learned. And, and look, I just, I just, I just, I want to, I want to know that when you got the mini DV tapes that you put on a balaclava and spoke in a Haitian accent. That's what I actually want to know. Like, did you do that, Bill? Because then we really know that the trailer stuck with you. The tra- making the trailer stuck with you, 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 you did a score like Miami was. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so cool, man. Oh, it's, look, it's been such a treat to talk to you, Bill. I'm so, yeah, so glad we got to like talk I'm about so the glad. experience of of so seeing this trailer and and getting all the details and look when you guys mentioned this uh, I you know we that was in the middle of lockdown and yeah. I just I looked at my partner I was like oh my god and she was like what <laughs> and I and I told her basically everything I just told you and she was, like, and she was a little confused but she was like so happy for me amazing nope. well thank you for sharing all of that with us it's, thank you. it just oh. make, it enhances the experience of the movie even more <laughs> uh, and, and bill yeah you, you i mean look this might have been fun for you but it's been 
I've been over, you know, in, in heat parlance, over fucking whelmed with how happy I am hearing your stories about this production and, um, and everything that you did with it and, and how much joy you had doing it and, and what it then spawned in your career, man. It's freaking awesome. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. This is better than we could have imagined. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Katie. This is awesome.